When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is iFanboy Pick of the Week, number 910, brought to you by iFanboy listeners like you. Baby, don't you be cold as I say you're traveling on the one after nine oh nine. I beg you not to go down on my bended knee. Hey, I'm Josh Flanagan, and I'm here with my co-host Connor Kilpatrick. Hello. Clear skies, clean sailing. No snow, no rain, no. There was there was a blizzard, nothing. and then a couple days later there was rain, and then there was no more snow. So that's where we're at now. So now you're just flooding. You think a boat everywhere? No, we're good. We're on the hill. It's all fine. Ski season has been a problem, but that is such a snotty old... It's best to just forget about ski season. It's, it happened in the past. It's something you can tell your grandkids about. It's my, it's my son's favorite thing. I know, but he needs to find a new one. Maybe uh, sunbathing. <laughs> Maybe he should try some sort of global climate engineering Beach volleyball. As a job. Yeah. We're not a beach volleyball people. <laughs> We're short-legged just to begin with. This is iFanboy Pick of the Week, episode 910, which indicates to you that there have been 909 before this. One of these days, we're going to get this whole process down. Every week, one of us picks the book they like the best. That is the pick of the week. We, we, we read many comics. They come yeah. out, and then one of us has the job. They say, you know, that's the one. This is the It Book of the Week. We should change the title to a slightly different one. <laughs> the It Book of the Week. It Book. The It Book. Mm-hmm. That is terrible for SEO. We will talk about that comic book. We will talk about other books from the week and often how they relate to the pick of the week. Was it close? Was it not close? This could have been pick of the week. Nothing was close. Or the very common, I don't know, I had to pick something. (laughs) There might be listener mail. We try to have a good time. We try to be entertaining. We try not to rock the boat, I'd say. Uh, but, you know, maybe there will be rocking. Who can say? There will be spoilers. We will talk about what happens in those books. Uh, so if you haven't read them, that is on you. Connor, you had the pick. And might I say, did not see this coming. I'm shocked. Action Comics uh, 1061 from Jason Aaron, John Timms, Rex Locus, and Dave Sharp. Although there isn't a credits page, at least in my digital copy. I had to look that up on the internet. Yes. Any longtime listener of this show should be shocked because there are very few comic book characters that I hate, and one of them is Bizarro. However, I think what we're seeing here is a little bit of a rejuvenated Jason Aaron now that he's doing some DC work. He's on Action Comics. He's on that Batman miniseries, Batman Off World, that I'm enjoying. 
And it feels a little bit like the Jason Aaron of old who did really fun, inventive stories and took characters you knew and love and looked at it from different angles. And, you know, we've talked to him many times over the years at conventions or, or comic parties or whatever. And he's, he's got a lot of love for DC characters as well as Marvel. He's been doing Marvel for so long, but he loves DC characters. And he wrote a very moving piece this week about his love of Superman on his Substack and as an Instagram. And I think you can see that here. He really, he really gets Superman as a character. But what he did for me was he made Bizarro palatable as well as unlocked some features in Bizarro that I haven't seen done before. Mm. It's possible that they have because I tend to block out Bizarro stories. It starts off with Bizarro. He's sort of lost and adrift amongst the multiverse. We'll find out why later on. And he ends up at this magical planet dealing with these magicians, these magic folks who don't want him there. And they try to remove him via magic only to find that magic doesn't hurt him. In fact, the opposite. And that's when I went, oh, shit. Because as we all know, mm-hmm. one of Superman's weaknesses is magic. And if Bizarro is opposite Superman, and look, Bizarro doesn't make any sense. If you think about Bizarro for too long and the opposite stuff, it doesn't make any sense. You have to kind of go with it. It's the comic book thing. I will say to that extent, by the way, one of the things here is that Jason Aaron was very consistent with the speech. That's the second part. So the first part yeah, is the okay, magic. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. he not only is not hurt by magic he basically absorbs it and can wield it and i was like oh shit i've never seen that before and so then at that point bizarre becomes like a really powerful magic wielding creature so then he shows up on earth superman confronts him and that's when he realizes he's in trouble because bizarro is basically now a flying magician then we get to the point that josh just mentioned where bizarro utters a um, backwards talking spell like zatanna and fixes his dialogue it says basically says make him understand me and so then bizarro starts talking normally and I was like, oh, thank God. And so he started ticking all the boxes that I hate about Bizarro. And it turns into a really compelling story. This is a resetting of the action comics status quo. This is the first issue of since Philip Kennedy Johnson's story, which we liked, especially in the beginning. I think by the end, it sort of completely fell flat. The Superman family stuff was too much. The Ugh. kids were dumb. They didn't even get a mention here. Hopefully, they're just gone. I know. There was no other super type folk in this one. Not he a mentions one. Jonathan. That's it. That's right. Fine. And so I'm, t- I'm hoping the kids are not there. It's me, your father. That's what he said in the last <laughs> issue. And I was like, no, it isn't. It is not that. This has not been earned in any way. I'm sorry. I just, I read it no, right no, before I, this one. I understand. I, I thought the same stuff. This felt very classic Bibbo's here. You know, it mm-hmm. felt like a resetting of the board for Superman. And, and I really liked Jason's take on Superman. And I, you know, despite my misgivings, I really ended up enjoying his take on Bizarro. I think John Timms is a great superhero artist. He's kind of in that Dan Mora school of incredibly exciting and fun layouts and page constructions of big action sequences. Angular, cartoony, but yep. big. Little, little, not, a little, there's a little 90s in that, and not in a bad way. Yeah, a little bit, for yeah. sure. The only knock on it, and someone mentioned this on the Discord, and I didn't even think about it until they said it, is that you know at the end of this, something happens and everyone in Metropolis turns into Bizarros. And that's sort of very similar to what's happening in the whole Teen Titans Beast World thing. But I'm not even reading that anymore, so it doesn't bother me. But And it's happened with Joker many times. Right. It's just like DC can't get around turning everyone into something. But, you know, whatever. Up until that moment, it was terrific. I, I just had a hell of a time reading this. I think Jason Aaron is invigorated in a whole new universe it hasn't been official. Like, no one's officially said he's switched over. No one's officially said he's signed over. Like, we haven't had any kind of announcement, but it sure seems like it. Yeah. I think they both could use it. I think DC could definitely use it. I, I think Jason's been writing Marvel so long that he could use a, a reinvigoration in a new universe, and this, this might be it. I had a really fun time reading that, at least because I was so surprised that he made Bizarro palatable and fun to read. 
I also don't like Bizarro. Yeah. I hate it. I just am sort of indifferent about the whole thing. And so I kind of felt that way about the story. Like I thought, no, that's really good. I kind of wish this wasn't the thing. But you're right in that there was nothing else in the way. They weren't building the family. Like when you said that, I was like, oh, yeah, there were no other of these people. There was just Lois and Jimmy, really. Yep. And Bibbo. And I thought that was good. I thought that the most powerful magicians and wizards in the world didn't seem all that competent. They, uh, they had big <laughs> well, hats about, he's, he's still Superman, right? Yeah. He's still you know, as powerful as Superman is, so that's not nothing. They had no wisdom. They were like, he's just like Superman. Let's magic him. It's not working. <laughs> Let's magic him more. It's getting stronger. All we can do is magic him. I was like, maybe, maybe you're the strongest magicians, but you're just stupid. I mean, I guess that's possible. And yeah. what I was going to say about the language is that it's one of those things where when you say well, having everything be opposite is a very slippery slope. Yes. So basically what the author has to do here is establish the rules. And the rules are going to be that when he says hate, he means love. Mm-hmm. And when he says sad, he means happy. And no means yes. And that's it. Like I figured out the formula and I was like, got it. And so then we didn't have to mess around. You know what I mean? I was like, I know right. what's going on. And I saw, I, do th- I did think the Zatanna backwards bit, well, I was like, oh, that's great. That's really, that's really good. But also, when he says the words as they are, it's really sad. Yes. That, to me, was the great bit of lifting here, was that, like, you felt bad for Bizarro. Like, because it's almost like, and it was, like, basically the idea is that the universe has been shifted around and screwed over so many times that it made his world disappear. And I was like, there's a comment there on comic books. Yeah, and I think that was one of the other things I liked about it also was that you do feel really bad for him. He is a tragic character. He, it's always a tragic character, but here, with the loss of his family, with his Bizarro Lois and I assume Bizarro Jonathan, like that makes him a tragic figure, and so then he's not a pure villain, and that's what makes it interesting. Wait, his son has a – his son is Boizaro. Boizaro, that's right. Boizaro. Just want that. It's a good name. If you have another kid, you should consider Boizaro. Okay, so the way that this works, for those of you who haven't heard it a thousand times, is that if you have the pick of the week, you send a list out. This is my pick of the week. These are the other books I want to talk about. Second person who gets it makes the choices and moves around. And I just glossed it. I didn't didn't see your pick. And Mm. so I was like, let's see, where do I put action comics? And I wrote it. I wrote it. I was like, just put it in the short section at the end. I'll just mention it. And then I went, oh, wait. Because then I even thought for a second, it's weird that he didn't mention action comics in here. (laughs) And then I eyes flipped up and I was like, oh, it's the pick. Like, it just didn't, I didn't even consider that it was possible. (laughs) Um, So I like the surprise of it an awful lot. And I was looking forward to this discussion. It's a really great back to basic Superman. We've we've had some good Superman, even if action wasn't totally working, especially by the end. I think the Superman book that Joshua Williams is doing, and now apparently Bruno Redondo is the artist on that, is is been terrific. Wait, that's not good. Yeah, well, he hasn't done Nightwing in so long. Okay. I just think Superman's been really strong, and this was an upgrade to action that puts it up there on par with Superman. Now, sadly, we know that just from talking to folks at DC over the years and looking at sales numbers back when we had them or the sales estimates, people don't buy action comics for whatever reason. They don't buy action. They don't buy detective. They buy Superman. They buy Batman. Mm-hmm. And so I hope people will check this out and, and give it a shot, especially with this issue, which is a perfect jumping on point. It's a good start. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is. And it's, it's, it's a very strong comic book. And it's one of those things where – it doesn't scream Jason Aaron to me, which the, when I say that, it's kind of a ridiculous statement because the man can do a lot of different types of things and voices, which is one of the things that's interesting about it. If you read, you know, the creator-owned stuff that he's known for, you're like, ooh, that's a, that's a dark. Yeah, I don't want to derail this, but I did have that thought while I was reading it. I was like, man, it's been a long time since he's done a scalped 
or Southern yeah. Bastards type book. And I yeah. love that. I mean, I know the market's totally different and all that I stuff. Didn't but finish. What's the, there was a boom one. Yeah, that wasn't like that though. Yeah. The Once Upon a Time at the End of the World. I read about six issues of that and dropped off it. Yeah, I, I missed something and I lost the thread. Yeah, but it's good to it's good to see over here. I mean, that you know that whatever year and change of, of however long it was of Bendis on on Superman, that was mm-hmm. it was great. It was really fun, and this is too. I think all the stuff that has been swirling around Superman has been hit or miss. You know, the family and everything, mm-hmm. and how similar it is to Fantastic Four, but the character, the Superman in the middle, I think it's yes. been very strong. We never read Superman. Go, that's not Superman. It's a consistent that's been that Superman. way for a while since Jurgens with the beard and everything. It's been a good Superman, and yeah. so it's nice to see that continued. Sort of on the opposite end of the spectrum is Transformers Four: Daniel Warren Johnson, Spicer, and Wooten. And my Transformers exposure is mostly the cartoons as a kid and some of the movies as an adult. I never really read any of the was it IDW comics. I remember you did for a while. I tried, but it was never, I never liked it. I never it. read those. So I don't know if this is different or not, but I am taken aback at the brutality of, of the Decepticons. I, I mean, I, yeah, they are awful. I finished this and I have a thing where I go, oh, cool, Transformers. And then like, it was another little part of it. It's like, you don't, you never really liked this. And then, so I kind of remember as everybody else, this is really good. The thing is, is that a lot like the Beta Bill series is that like, each issue one-ups the one that came before it because it holds nothing back. Right. Daniel Warren Johnson and the way that he's going through this. So in this, like, you've got Starscream, who I can hear Chris Latta. I can yes. hear him. Like, clearly, it's written with that animated version in mind, but he's evil. Like, yes. he's a bad guy. That's what took me back when he when he blew up the hospital. I was just like, oh, yeah. Jesus. There was a thing here. I was like, oh, it's a little real. It's a little right now. It's a little, little much, but it, you know, it works. It hits that way. I think that the way that prime is depicted in this is fantastic. Yeah. I liked that. Was it ratchet was like, you know, dude, these humans, let's, let's be realistic. And, you know, prime won't take it, you know, and there's a lot of, you know, that sort of lofty Optimus prime stuff. The, the humans are worth it. You know, like mm-hmm. they're life forms too. Right. And then at the same time, Every page is like, it's nonstop. It is coming at you as a reader constantly. Like, I, what I thought, what I thought looking at it, I was like, this must have been exhausting to draw, but that's not how drawing works. But that's how much energy is. I'm not kidding. I was like, oh, God, this must be so tiring to do, which is not how art works. You can if you're working hours and hours and hours on it. Right. I get it. But like, it takes for hours and hours to do slow pieces too. Mm-hmm. But like, I, you just get the sense that he was just slamming espressos and just like a headband around his head and sweating on a drug board. Like that's what it looks like. It felt like to make. Yeah. And then there's a bit here where I'm trying to remember. Where is it? Oh, there's like a, is it a kid? It's like a sick kid. He's like, hey, can you change to a card? He's like, yes, I can. He does it and you watch it. And I was like, that's rad too. <laughs> it's just, it's really exciting. I mean, you mentioned the art. So then we had the uh, announcement this week that, Jorge Corona's taken the second arc. I don't know if it's issue six or seven. I don't know how many issues the first arc is. It's going to be five or six. It's a bummer, but then you, you know, Daniel Warren Johnson wouldn't be able to keep this pace up. No. And this not is a monthly, monthly book. He, yeah. he would die. So Jorge I get Corona's it. Jorge Corona's great. Middle Jorge West. Corona's a terrific artist. It's a different, it's a similar Good. style in that it's very frenetic and very crazy detailed, but, you know, it's not as dynamic. No one's as dynamic as no, Daniel Warren Johnson. And, but and, and, it'll be different. And, I mean, like, I, he's, hopefully he's not going to try to ape him. He's got his own yeah. thing. He can do it. But, you know, we used to say the same thing about Scotty Young, yeah. who Jorge Corona worked with. 
on another book too. Did you do that one about the haunted house and the lady? Yeah, he did. Yeah. So you know, you used to be like, oh, man, it sucks that Scotty's not drawing, but he f- he found folks who can match that style and energy. It's not the same, but it works. So I think it's a really good choice of a. It, it, anyway, regardless of that, <laughs> well, I, I want to make two more points about this issue. Yeah. One is I am an adult, right? Sure. I am a grown yeah. man. I pay taxes. I've got a job. I understand how things work. I'm still like, how are we going to get out of this? You know, I'm reading it, and the Autobots keep getting fucked up and fucked up and fucked up, and they don't have any energy on. They can't rebuild. And I'm just like, they're not going to make it. Like, that's the, that's the voice and the kid's voice in the back of my head as I read this, because I think it's still important to have that kid's voice when you're reading comics, because you have to, right? And so, even though I know from a adult reserve, I like these, they're going to win, I'm still reading this going, God, they may not win. That's how it well the story like- is being told. The yeah. other part is the big one-page reveal where they go into the back of the thing and they because Otis Prime lost his arm in the battle, he's running around with one arm, and he, they say, I, "I got an idea," and they weld on Megatron's cannon arm. I went, "Oh fuck!" So like this book is just incredibly fun. I flipped back and forth because I saw the scope part. I love that they're like they're not going to explain the size thing, which is great. Keep going with that. <laughs> I saw the, the cannon and I went back and I was like, oh wait, that's his whole arm because he was missing an arm. There was a lot of flipping back and forth in this and not in a bad way. Yeah. I just wanted to see how things were done. I honestly, I finished it and I was like, Jesus, this has <laughs> no right to be this great. But there, like, there's a bit, again, not a giant Transformers fan, but there's a point when they're fighting and the, the Autobots turn it around and instantly Starscream starts yelling, retreat! And I was like, I can hear it. I can, like, it was exactly what he was supposed to do, but written, you know. He retreated quickly. He, he really oh, went I, from arrogant to retreat. He's that's a what scared he does. Cat. Yeah. I love the Cobra Commander and Starscream sound exactly the same, but I know the difference between them. Like, they are... I'm like, no, Starscream would say it like, it's the same thing. But in my mind, those are like two different people. It's fine. I also wonder if they tailored them to the voice. His personality is very similar to Cobra Commander. Cobra Commander's all yeah. all bluster until anything happens and he runs. I love that the guy was like, I'm going to just do the same one if that's cool. And they were all like, yeah, that's fine. And then, of course, the big uh, cliffhanger reveal is as Starscream is proclaiming himself, you know, emperor of the Decepticons is Megatron's body missing the arm, sort of stuck in the ice like Captain America sort of. And I saw that, and I thought, God, how bad's he gonna be? <laughs> like, I literally, I got the thought. I was like, Well, Starscream is evil, but he's stupid. So at least they, oh no! And it was again that same. Like, I, I genuinely felt that drama. Like, and there's the shot of like the girl, and she's sad, and yeah. Cliff Jumper goes and sit by. I was like, It's a really human moment. That is an extremely Robert Kirkman thing to do. Yeah, that scene. Let me ask you a question: Is the Energon? universe the most exciting thing in comics right now because we talked offline just as friends during the holidays it was like can you believe duke can you believe how good gi joe is like i mean every, right now when transformers duke and gi joe real american hero which i know it's not part of the energon universe but whatever come out i'm incredibly excited yeah but i mean but it's so it's such a narrow casting thing oh sure it's like sure. you've taken you know, some of our absolute favorite comic book creators and you put them on, you know, after Star Wars, our absolute favorite properties and they made it real good. And, you know, we are both, I mean, we are both just limping into late middle age. And so mid middle age, who knows? Mid middle age, come on. But whatever, like it is, it is just talking to exactly what you and I as particular individuals, and I'm guessing some part of our audience really likes. So I'd add for me, 
You know, is it the well, most? That's exciting? all you can. That's all you can answer for. Yeah. Yeah, but sometimes you can. You can. But like this one is so specific that I couldn't speak for anybody else on it. I'm excited for Cobra Commander. Yes. I mean, honestly, I finished this book and I was like, that was amazing. Like I took a moment. <laughs> I was like, that was amazing. Now I don't remember which I read first. Uh-huh. I think I read Petrol Head first and then did Transformers, but it may have been the other way around because the fact is, at the end of both of them, I said the same thing. Right. I finished Petrolhead from Rob Williams and Pi Par. Number three. Third issue. And I've been really enjoying it. I think the first one was the patron pick. Yes. I was really into the second. And again, that same, like, I just thought, I don't know any comics like this right now. It's got such incredible energy. And it was structured so well that, like, I just went, it's only three issues. I feel like I know so much about this world. You know, and I'm, but I'm still at a point where I want to know more about these main characters, but just constant, like the way that, so in this issue, they basically flashback and they set up who these robot racers are, why they exist and how they feel. Yeah. And there is a bit here where, what's he called? Oh, the big bad guy with the big brain. Yeah. Something like that. O-face something like that. Not O-Face. No. <laughs> something else. <laughs> it's the O, the O. He has an O-Face. But it's oh, the oh, oh, um, <laughs> he says something along the lines of he's like, well, you know, we, we can beat these guys. And he looks and he goes, you're human. You worry about all the things you could be. And robots are built to do one thing. And there's no doubt about it. And I was like, yeah. that's that's real good. I was so good. I downloaded the last couple issues of 2000 AD. I was like, well, <laughs> I need to find more Rob Williams in my life right now. Well, I think number one. We're talking about eight books in the show. Four of them are from Image. This week I had 20 books, 10 of whom were not Marvel DC. Most of them were Image, but there were 10. So half my reading list this week was non-Marvel DC. I think Image is back a little bit. I mean, there's great books. For sure. They've got a lot of exciting things going on right now. It's, it'll never quite be that Image boom from a few years ago where Ron, our co-host, helped bring all those guys over. And they had all these incredible Marvel and DC guys making incredible books. It's never going to be that again, or at least not for a long time. But... It went fallow for a while, but now I'm like, yeah, there's, I mean, there's a lot of image books I'm excited to read. Yeah, and I, I mean, for a while, a while, that was all excited because they were like big deals. People were making a lot of money at the same time as the books were big and exciting, right. but a lot of those never finished. And now I feel like it's more, the, you, I can almost separate the Skybound stuff to a certain extent because it's, it's, you know, at the end, it is licensed stuff. It's really good. It doesn't matter how, it's just supposed to be good though. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. It's just it has a different feeling. But do you have any petrol head thoughts? I, I went through it. Well, I just, I mean, it's, it's sort of similar to what we've talked about. I think this might have been the best issue. I still marvel at Pi Par, who has seemed to have come out of nowhere, I'm sure was on 10,000 10, AD, 2000 AD. Lettered the damn thing. Who does everything pencils, colors, letters. It's all incredible. I love the Stunning bright colors. Stunning designs. The, the robot designs are incredible. The car stuff is amazing. He's like up oh. there with Sean Murphy for car drawing. And you said this is an issue where we got a lot of backstory, which I think we sorely needed at this point. We're not super far into it, but I think it was was an important part to get to the start of the backstory of these characters, these robot characters. I love this hybrid character. Yes. It was probably the best issue so far. And it just looks amazing. I mean, Jesus. Just such a good sci-fi social commentary, but exciting. It's all of the best things. I finished, I was like, that is just, we don't even deserve it. I was so happy at the end of these last two comic books. Yeah. Apparently, I like robots and cars. <laughs> oh, who knew? <laughs> I don't know. I had no idea. I really wouldn't consider that a thing of mine, but. I'm scrolling through this issue, and I'm marveling at the colors. I really mm-hmm. think the colors are one of the best things about this book. 
the racing is all very red heavy. And then when you go into where the O is, it's all very blue. It's all very poppy. It's very bright. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of books are dour and dark, and this is a very bright. I want to say happy book because the book isn't happy, but the colors are. And it really works with the tension with the art and story. He has a cigar hole. <laughs> he's great. He's a robot who smokes a cigar. The other guy comes out, hybrid. He's got a he's got a collar for some reason. They want his cookies and like it's just all like it's like folksy and silly moves super fast. Basically, the end of the issue, they make it to the one guy's house and then like the people who are gonna have to work together and don't well, yo, I'm too old for this. I don't want to do it. And then that panel of that scene ends with the sound effects of growl, which is also the artist. Like, what's that? Two page spread of the car of the person who we were alluded to earlier, mm-hmm. who becomes, you know, the big bad of this, or, you know, for now anyway. I, anything could happen. That's what I really like about it. Like, it's very well constructed. Like, when something happens, you think, oh, that's how that had to happen. That's great. It's just doing all the things right, not necessarily like surprising you, but I don't mm-hmm. know what's going to happen because of that. That's good. It's I, good comic. I even like the concept sketches at the end. It's just yeah. makes me happy. Do you read Swan Songs? Uh, yes, I do. Okay. I don't rightly know that this week's issue can be considered a comic book. There's some <laughs> comic book in it. So what we have here, Swan Songs is number six. I don't know if it's the last one. It'd be a hell of a last issue if it was. I don't remember the <laughs> ha-has they were. But Swan Songs, so the theme is there's a one-issue one story about the end of something. I think it is the end. It ha- I mean, I don't know. You can't, you can't do this. It says the end. A giant letters in the end. Well, there you go. So this, the, on the front, if and you so know I, anything the, about... Sorry, I cut you off. The premise is every issue is about an ending of something, of the swan song. Right. So it's an anthology. It's oh. W. Maxwell Prince did this with Ha Ha, where he did different clown stories. And he this is just different artists of every issue. This is structured after Shel Silverstein's Where the Sidewalk Ends, or it's in the style of his poetry. With If you grew up as Shel Silverstein, you know exactly what this is. By the way, it's a swan pushing the people off the end of the sidewalk. <laughs> there is a narrative being told by a person who is apparently in some sort of mental health facility, an insane asylum, we would have used to say. That's the ice cream man on the first page, too. Yeah. I need to read that. I need to go back and read it. These are just too good to not go read that. I feel like I missed something. So as we go through this, there's a series of of Shel Silverstein-like poems. And when I say Shel Silverstein-like poems, the reproduction of both the illustrations and the meter of his rhymes is stunning. I was blown away. I'm a big, like, this Shel Silverstein poems are a really big part of my life mm-hmm. as a kid, as were the recordings. So as I read through, I can hear him saying the words. It was funny because I used to listen to the tapes or whatever with my grandmother. And so at a certain point, my kids got older. I I downloaded them or whatever. And I remembered every syllable in the way that he said them. And my kids really liked it too. That's good. Because he was such an interesting dude. And and so as you go through this, there is a narrative. It's pretty sad. The father has to go into the asylum and the mother and the daughter are left alone. She becomes a prostitute. The kid ends up hanging with the the bad crowd. Then you find out the guy who's running the facilities, you know, kind of evil and there's a quick comic thing where the character grabs a camera and he speaks to, you know, us directly in comic book form. Right. I've never seen anything like this. Yeah. I mean, I have because it's a parody of a thing or whatever <laughs> it is. A tribute. It's a something. I mean, as a work of tribute, it was really well done. I don't know if you weren't familiar with what he was tributing, how much this would be successful. Yes. Oh, the illustrations were really strong. Were you a Shel Silverstein kid? Yeah, but not as much as you, clearly, mm-hmm. but... You know, as our age, it was hard not to have right. at least exposure to it. But the way it was melded into what he's been doing in the series worked well. And I thought the ending was 
appropriately dark. And if you look at it from the lens of this is the final issue, it's very much sort of the, the thesis of the book, right? Which is mm-hmm. the final lines of the clock is ticking. The end is nigh. What will you do with this limited time on the spinning rock? On your limited time mm-hmm. with the spinning rock? Because the clock's ticking, the end is nigh. What will you do? So that seems like the end of the story because that's sort of the thesis of this whole book. The back cover is, you know, the other side of the painting. It would be on the front. And it's, you know, the end of the end of the sidewalk. So the bottom, in the bottom, yeah. Which is a cartoonist thing to do. You know, as so you do somebody else's style and you say after that, that's a tribute. Yeah. I mean, the other thing that I have to give it credit for is that each story that came before it, each other issue was completely different than every other one. And so yes. if he was just doing impersonation each one, but it's it's not. Like, and then they were all different from the haha stories. I don't know who this W. Maxwell Prince person is, but it's an amazing range. You know, it, it's one of the best short comic book storytellers that I've come across in quite a while. It'd be really interesting to see where W goes in the future. I have no idea yeah. if he or she or what. I mean, it wasn't my favorite issue of the series, but I, thought, I was really impressed by the uh, craft of it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I really enjoyed it. Again, this, I was extremely impressed by just the, you know, the yeah, the craft, the the execution. I think the execution was was like, there was no false step in it. Like, it was yeah. great. It was really well done. You know, good work. I'm really happy that this work keeps getting done. We were talking about, if we're talking about image, like, I don't yeah. know how big the audience is for something like this, but this is high-level work in fucking short stories in a conceptual book. Well, it's a second anthology series. It must have done well enough the first time through to do a second one. I'm guessing smart people in bookstores learned about it and bought those books and they let them do another one. Hope so. Yeah, I was really impressed. I immediately, like, reached out to Paul Montgomery, former host of the show, and I was like, I don't know if you're still <laughs> keeping up with this, but this is a thing that you specifically need to read now. And he was like, thank you very much. Like, I could tell <laughs> it hit home the way that it was supposed to. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Bloodrick. Bloodrick. Bloodrick 2. We had Bloodrick 1. That was, was it the patron pick? I don't remember. No, 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 it wasn't. I read it, and then you happened to read it, and you were, like, in love with it. I loved the first issue, yeah. When we talked about it, I was like, yeah, that was really good. Like, I enjoyed it, because I liked the backstory of it. And then this the second one came out, and I just thought, oh, wow, that was also really good. It was good. It wasn't as good as the first issue. I'm not surprised. The first issue, he had, like, you know, so long to come up with. Yeah. And it was, like, a perfect short story that had the first issue. This, you know, expands the character now that he has survived the bear fight. Although he lost his catch, the bear took the dead deer, so he lost his food. He manages to stumble his way to a village in the mountains after hallucinating about a bunch of deer and uh, finding the vi- the mountains village completely empty of people. So there's a mystery that we're you know we're getting into some of a bit of a story. Yeah, I mean we're getting our, our Conan stories. I I think yeah. the thing is like he lost his deer, and I really felt for. I was like, oh man. So the, I'm rooting for him now. Yeah. After that last bit, and he's he's wandering. He's in his pair of briefs. Like he's got to be frozen. He's very well, look hungry. Look at his size. Yeah. He needs protein. He needs yes. that constant fuel, and he just is not getting it. His body can be eaten for quite a while, and he's still holding up well. He's he's looking better than I ever have, and he's a cartoon. <laughs> Well, it's like when you watch Survivor, the really big muscly guys usually break down first because they don't have that constant fuel that the skinnier people don't need. I only watched the first season and a half, so I don't remember. Well, that's, that's what happens usually. The big muscly guys have bigger problems because they don't have the protein intake. So whereas I can get there and just I'll like my middle will get eaten up and I'll be fine. You have other problems. Yeah, exactly. Deep, deep problems. Sunburns, mostly. <laughs> that would be That it. guy just caught on fire. He just, <laughs> he just spontaneously combusted. Never seen anybody react to a mosquito bite quite so severely. 
that's, that's quite a thing. Then there's a little there's a little fun short story at the end, which I actually really liked. The cartooning's really fun. The sort of layout really that he's doing. The haggardness and desperateness of the, I'm telling you, this is like when you can combine Gru and Conan together. Steadily mm. self-serious Conan, but it's a, he's a little Gru. It's oh, it's silly. It's a silly, it serious story. Yeah. It's fun. I just was happy for more. I, oh, yeah. I, and the I, art's exaggerated enough that plays into that yeah. aspect of it. This is another image book we just talked about four in a row. Mm. Four yeah. in a row? Yeah. Good stuff happening image right now. I do want to mention briefly the sensational She-Hulk 182 or four. And this is nothing against Ig Gara, who is, I think, a good artist. But I really missed Andres Genelay in this issue in particular because this was the fun girls' night out mm-hmm. issue. And Andre Shinlai does a really good job of making them fun. And it's, a, it's a fun and sexy comic. So he does them in a fun, sexy way, not, not an over-the-top. And I thought that Igara or Gyara's style didn't really mesh with the story that was being told. I don't think I noticed it one way or another until we got to the part. Like when you say it, I'm like, oh, yeah, the, the fashion's not exactly the same. But then we got to Carol Danvers, and I was like, ugh. Not only does she have her stupid jacket. Which is even stupider in her own book, which I've dropped, by the way. I can't do yeah, it. Yeah, I didn't. I dropped that too. I gave it three or four, whatever, three, four issues, I think. And I was like, this is terrible. But she meets them on the street in her street clothes and she's got a tiny little jacket on too. And I was like, no, yeah. that's not how this is supposed to go. I really liked, she doesn't want to go out. I like how she's haggard in this one before. It, yeah. Like, this is, there's a new problem for her in this one. She's having a bad day. Yeah, she's and the thing everybody the hates Hulk. her because of the Hulk with the Hulk didn't yeah. last issue and her boss. And they were like, why don't you just go as Jen? And I was like, God, that's brilliant. Why didn't she just go as Jen? And it changes everything a little bit. Yeah. And there's a really nice moment where Jack is like, Oh, look at you. I missed that face, you know? And she doesn't know how to take it. Right. That's really interesting to me. Oh, the writing was still such stellar in this uh, issue. I just yeah, missed there's it. There's a lot of great writing. If you're going to have a girls' night out with Jen and Patsy Walker and Carol Danvers, you need to have your fun, sexy artist doing it. Mm-hmm. This is a rom-com, basically. Yeah. You know what the worst part of this is, though? What? I can't stand Jack Arts. I don't like him. I don't know why she's into him. <laughs> I They're don't all into him. You saw Patsy Walker's reaction. She's I know, like, but I don't buy it. It's like one of the... I'm trying to think. There's definitely some show where like a character is supposed to be attractive and everyone's watching it like... No, that's not a... Yeah, they're doing a lot of telling us he's attractive. Like, yes. You know what I mean? Like the characters tell you things. There's one page, basically, that takes place in the office, and it does so much in that one. It's great. She yeah. walks in. Mallory yells at her. There's three people on the bench. One of them's a Moloch, or what are they called? Moloid. And then there's Moloid. this other guy, Devil Slayer, and he's complaining about the rights to the term defenders. What's the other guy? What's the green and yellow guy? That's not an aim guy. It's a... The green and yellow guy? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Who is that guy? One he's of, one of It's not Hydra, Hydra. Something like that. I don't think it's because is it Hydra? Either hard way, he's, he's hard in the background. Look how much ground that page covers. Yeah, a lot. You know, not like filled up. I just thought it was a time because I was going to say, oh, it's a great scene in the office, and I was like, that's really only the one page. It's great writing. Yeah, the writing's terrific. I just, I just wish we had that different art. That's fine. It, you, you long for a world where the same artist is on every issue of something. Well, it's, particularly this one. If you're going to have Girls Night Out, it should be a it should be a specific kind of artist who can do that in a fun way. Like Garrett doesn't. That's not that artist's strong suit. You but know? from the editorial standpoint, it's the one that's out of step with the other issues, and so you have your person do the longer arc, and then the one comes in. I mean, I I know you do. I just I understand. You know, can't win. Over the break. Oh, we had a new Bendis book launch on Dark Horse called Masterpiece. Issue 1 came out over the break. Issue 2 came out this week. It's drawn by old pal Alex Malieve, Ian Herring, and Joshua Reed round out the cast of creators. And it's fun. I'm enjoying it. I don't love it. It's a problem. The two main characters are teenage Gen Zers and they're annoying. Written by an old man. 
just the, the dialogue and what they they're so strident and <laughs> and uh, you know it's all right it's, it's all right it's, it's just is... annoying but the setup's <laughs> interesting and fun the idea is that this young girl 15 years old doesn't realize that her parents were like world-class criminals because she hasn't seen them in forever that she's been left in the care of their friend they disappeared and she finds this out because the billionaire they stole a bunch of money from shows up and says, basically, you owe me billions of dollars and you're going to have to work for me. And so then it's it's all about getting this sort of heist crew together to, to help fulfill his needs, you know, to get money back. There's this one guy that they introduced who was a buddy of their parents who his whole thing it was in the 90s. He was a vigilante who would go and beat up anybody who was very publicly a jerk. Like if there was a news story about somebody being an asshole, he would just show up and beat them up. And that was it. That's all he did. They enlist his help. I thought it was a little, lot of fun. The Malieve art's strong. The main characters are kind of annoying, but that's to be expected. And they're going to go after Martha Stewart or some facsimile of her. <sighs> I know I can't recapture what I loved about Bendis back then, and so it all feels like it's sort of lacking. And so It'll I never didn't, be that. I didn't. Again. I know. And so therefore, I don't really want what it is now. I understand. Totally. Yeah, so I yeah. saw the solicit for the last one. I thought, nah. and it was just like he used to be vigilant. I was like, all right, I get it. Like, I, I just, I, I had enough. I'm in for the arc. I'm in to see where the arc goes, and then we'll we'll assess on beyond that. I mean, it's it mm-hmm. is what it is. You know, the times change, tastes change. But I don't even think that. I think execution changes as creators change as yeah. they get older. They what they're interested in doing changes and how yeah, they write. Doing the same different. people. It's not the Bendis of the crazy. You know, word balloons and mm-hmm. double page spreads. It's just that's just not what he's doing, at least in this series. And so it's different, you know. And to be fair, I'm not suggesting he's doing anything wrong or bad. No, just things change. I just have such a relationship with the work of that time that I don't very know, important. It, it brought you back into comics, basically. Sure. No, it was, a, it was a really big deal. And you know, some people grow along with you, and some people grow and do a different thing. And I'm just I'm not into his thing. Understandable. Those are the comics we don't talk about, but at patreon.com slash ifanboy, the patrons who support the show, one of the rewards they get is that every single patron is given the vote. They all get the vote to add a book to the rundown. It's called the patron pick. One patron, one vote. You vote to add a book to the rundown this week by overwhelming margins. The winner was Ultimate Spider-Man number one, the reboot of a new Ultimate Universe by Jonathan Hickman, Marco Cicchetto, Matthew Wilson, and Corey Pettit. And this ties into what Hickman had done in that Ultimate Universe two-issue miniseries in which the creator, who is Reed Richards from the original Ultimate Universe, went to some universe in the Marvel multiverse and tinkered with it so there were no superheroes so that he and his criminal buddies could run it secretly from the shadows as a sort of old man Logan-esque carving of territories. But there are no heroes in this world until, at the very end of this issue, Peter Parker, middle-aged, 35-year-old Peter Parker, wife, two kids, is given the spider to give himself a bite to become Spider-Man. Only on the very last panel does he become Spider-Man. So, Josh, you are not a noted fan of Jonathan and the Hickman, but we, we were big fans of the Ultimate Spider-Man books and the Ultimate Universe, at least in the beginning. Double-sized issue, drawn by Marco Cicchetto. What were your thoughts? I think that I've liked Hickman more as he's stuck a little more to like his mainstream side. Mm-hmm. I can't say I was looking forward to this, though. I really like Marco Cicchetto. Mm-hmm. I do not like his Peter Parker design. Like, it looks like 70s hair. I don't know what it is. Something or like 80s. It yeah, looks, the beard was old. Like, it looks like they would draw, it looks like they would have drawn the character like in the late 80s. Like, he looks like a character who would have been from West Coast Avengers, which I, I don't really have a problem with, but I couldn't, I don't know, I couldn't get past it. I thought all of the setup for this was really fun and well thought out. I kept waiting for the shoe to drop, and it kind of didn't. Mm-hmm. I thought there was going to be a twist, and I was waiting for it. 
if you know what I mean. Like, I thought at the end we were going to find out like he wasn't Spider Man and somebody else was or whatever. And I'm actually really glad that it didn't happen, right? Because it was kind of like you know it was this is Peter Parker and this is the thing and he's going to be Spider Man or who he is. Although they they didn't quite. I also felt like I didn't quite get enough at the end. I wonder if it's a play on the idea that. It was a whole arc until Peter became Spider-Man in the original miniseries, the original Ultimate mm. Spider-Man. He was, you know, he was that. There's a whole Bendis took six issues to do what Lee and Ditko did in one page. Fair. So it, what's different here is that in the Ultimate Universe miniseries, the bad guys framed Tony Stark, who in this world is a teenager, with a terrorist attack that killed several of the Spider-Man supporting characters because it, it was in New York. So Aunt May is dead. Uh, Norman Osborn is dead. His wife is dead. And so here the Green Goblin is Harry in a unfortunate armored suit. And Kingpin owns the Daily Bugle where Ben Parker, since there was no Spider-Man, Ben Parker's alive. And he is the managing editor of the paper of the Daily Bugle along with J. Jonah Jameson. And they're, they're both really awesome people, which I think mm-hmm. is another twist is that J. Jonah Jameson's not a jerk. Even Joe Jameson looks exactly the same. Like they haven't <laughs> redone at least the same design. Right. Classic J. Jonah Jameson look. You think he's a jerk. We meet him first yelling, Parker, 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 and we realize why. He's actually a pretty awesome old school New York newsman, so is Ben Parker. But Kingpin forces them both out, and so now they're going to go off and start their own news business. Terrible idea. Peter is also working at the paper. We don't have a sense of what Peter's job at the paper is, but he works at the paper as well. Mm -hmm. He is happily married to supermodel Mary Jane, and they have two kids. And so that's really the only difference. And somehow... Teenage Tony Stark is able to get a message to Peter and sends him this, you know, package that has the spider in it and says, you can go on living your life as it is now, or you can open this vial and you can be the hero you were always meant to be. And that's the cliffhangers. He does it because he's always felt there's something missing in his life, some Mm -hmm. hole in it that was never filled. And it was because he was never Spider-Man. I thought it was solid. I didn't love it. There's got to be a why for this. Like, why go back to the ultimate universe? There's got to be, I'm hoping that there'll be a why revealed. I think that's what it was. I was. I think I was very into craft and structure, and and like you got two people functioning at a high level with a writer and artist. But ultimately, huh, there wasn't really a thing for me to grab on too much. Like this, Peter was just mopey and sad. Like there was nothing about this character that made me think of Peter Parker. Like we have to wait for him to get there. I got Peter Parker ready. What are you giving me that I don't have already? Like, right. What's the I point? wonder if this is just the throwing some chum to the online fans who've been screaming for Peter to get older and married the whole time. Here you go. You got your book. But at one point there's like a five page sequence where he and Mary are just sitting there talking on the couch. And I was like, Oh God, I don't want this at all. <laughs> you said we talk later. Now don't, uh, you know, we're going to talk. And I was like, are they going to have sexy time? Nope. They're going to have a talk <laughs> for five pages about their feelings. Was it five pages? I mean, it was really yeah, well just, written. So I don't I think I noticed it. that. But no, it was well written. It, the dialogue was good, but it's just like, this is exactly why I don't want an older, middle-aged, married Peter Parker. The fact is, if this had just been about J. Jonah and Ben Parker's newspaper adventures, there's your <laughs> book right there. The rest of it, I didn't care about. Yeah. You know, like, I, I get it. Peter Parker's old. He's sad. Something's missing. Yeah, I get it. It's the middle-aged writer is writing about this. I, yep, it all makes sense, but I've seen it. So, and I'm not saying it's not there and they take their time with it, but for me to be interested in it, I need something. And have it. Especially the Spider-Man, the Ultimate Spider-Man book. That was one of the great books of that decade. Well, this was like the opposite of that. 
Yeah. Like that was fresh and exciting and fun. And it, and it you know, and, and this was like, yeah, but what if he's old and boring? And I was like, I am old and boring. <laughs> I don't read these books to re- see myself reflected back at me. I do not need to be validated. I don't <laughs> need to see myself. It's all about me because all TV written comic writers are me. Right. The one step removed. So what do you got? And that's what I didn't have. I'm working my way through this as we talk about it. It's interesting the choices they made for the book. So we have Ultimate Black Panther by Brian Hill and Stefano Caselli coming out in February. And then Ultimate X-Men by Peach Momoko, who is, uh, I think, a um, YA artist writer coming out in March. It'll be interesting to see what this experiment yields and why. Because the original purpose of the Ultimate Universe was in the year 2000, Marvel continuity was jumbled in a mess and... The, the publishers of Marvel of Image, not Marvel, Image of Marvel the time thought if we create a line where there's no continuity mess where kids can come in and read a story and not have to know 30 years of history that's a good thing and that's what they it started off being of course as everything the longer it went the more it got its own continuity that became a mess mm-hmm. but and books that totally didn't work like Ultimate X-Men but Ultimate Spider-Man and all the Ultimates and some of the other miniseries were fun and it was a for a while it was a fun place and that's how we got Miles Morales and that led to good stories and then they brought Miles Morales into this world and that was dumb and there's got to be a reason to come back to this kind of storytelling and branding. We'll see if there is one. I just don't know what the, I mean, if it's tied to the ultimate read, you know, that's what that story is going to be because he's the big bad for everything. I thought it was well-written. I thought the art was strong other than Peter's terrible beard. Just it wasn't well-groomed. I have a terrible beard. I don't need (laughs) to read a character. (laughs) You don't need middle-aged Peter with glasses and a beard. Yeah. Hoping about his bad back. Yep. I don't, I don't, I really, I like, like being worried about his job, worried about the security, if he's going to be able to take care of his kids, like, yeah. wipe that family out, give him something to fight for. That's not escapism. No, it isn't. You know what? You're right. Not at all. Maybe that's why I'm upset. Maybe it stressed me out. This is like The yeah. Sims. It is like The Sims. I have an apartment to clean. I don't need to clean a fake apartment. Yeah. <laughs> Patreon. So let's, let's do ratings. I almost forgot to do ratings. On Ultimate Spider-Man number one, ratings out of five, I'm going to give it a four. Three. Sticking with it? I'm going to read the next one. Well, you got to read the next one to see him as Spider-Man, see if, what, what, what the point is. I know. That's what I said. All right. So there I'll you go. read the next Patreon. one. Patreon.com Every patron gets to vote to add a book to the rundown. And the patrons are the ones that directly support this show and all of our family of iFanboy shows. Everyone who does whatever they can in the following ways helps support the show. But the patrons are the main ones. They unlock shows for everybody. That's why you get a talk explode and a book explode. That's why you get a media explode. They get to become part of a great community. There's a Discord server that is uh, growing every day. There's apparently still a Facebook group. And there's a monthly patron hangout where we all come together for an hour or so. Sometimes longer. We have a, sometimes have a pre-show with some friends of the show like Mike Romo and Ryan Haupts come. Just have some drinks and chat online. And it's fun. We have a good time doing it. We'll be doing our next one in a couple of weeks. They get tier exclusive merchandise. Depending on what level of patrons they are, they get exclusive t-shirts and sweatshirts and mugs and stickers and, and posters. And we thank everyone as a patron. We could not do the show without you. We appreciate all the support. Thank you. Consider becoming one today if you can. Even you can do it for one dollar a month. You can even do it for free if you want. You don't have to pay to be a patron of the show. We do appreciate that. Ifamba.threadless.com is our merch store. We got thirteen designs on t-shirts and more merchandise. Ifamba.com/support is our digital PayPal tip jar. Ifamba.com/amazon is where you can find links to our Booksplode books as well as the general Amazon shopping link and. You know, if you got stuff over the holidays that maybe you already had or you were to return or maybe you got some gift cards or some money, I found out com slash Amazon for all your post shopping needs, all your post shopping sales happening. Check that out over there. 
And then bookshop.org is our partner for local bookstores across the country. If you order for them, local bookstores fulfill your order to help keep them in business, keeps those vital parts of our communities alive. And we do appreciate anyone who does any of those things to help keep the show going. We appreciate that very much. Now, our final patron reward of the day is the patron power. That's any patron at the $5 or higher level gets one live on the show. They get their own superpower. And this week, Josh is in charge of it. So Jason Wesson is certified 100% bet on it, box office gold. Oh. Get this guy in front of a camera, people are going to show up. They're going to feel the last movie star. He's box office gold is what he is. Even if he's in a bit part, like even if he's like in a background actor, he's still the movie's a box office hit and no one knows why. Yeah, they're going to walk out of that that it might like it might take the business and the executives a while to figure out what's going to happen, but they'll figure it out. Something about this kid. I can't I he's can't take it. my eyes off him. He's just he's got it. Like what is it? Who can say? If we could, we'd bottle it. But Jason's got it in spades. Box office gold. Gangbusters, kid. I love that one. Thank you. I do love that one. I love it even more if that no one knows why. He's just like a professional background actor and his movies <laughs> he just happens to be in, keep being <laughs> random hits and they're like, why is this happening? My note is I just wrote box office gold. And as you're coming to me, I go, I don't know what this is. And it, it, and I, I, was like, oh, I felt good. I felt good on how it came out. Everything's all right. Thank you, Jason, for being a patron. Patreon.com slash iFanboy. If you want a patron power live on the show, you can be one at the $5 or higher level. Let's answer some emails. Carl C. I sometimes have fantasies about Marvel and DC having to go through the infamous DC implosion of the 80s, pairing the lines back to a bare minimum that forces them to do the absolute best. With the state of comics, do you think this could ever happen again? No. Uh, not for the same reason. But I think that I think there's let's get some context first. So, yes, in the eighties, it's called the DC implosion. It's when DC like pared its line of comics way, 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 way down for various business reasons. They were putting out a lot of comics, and suddenly they were putting out hardly any comics. And then people, you know, think it allowed them to really focus. And a lot of great comics came out of that period. And then you had eighty six, and then you're off to the races. So that's what the DC implosion was in the eighties. Yeah, and that was a different kind. Of, I think it is possible that several levels up the corporate chain, somebody could just look at it one day and go, why are we doing this? I give people that sort of short-sightedness that it could happen in today's quarter-based corporate economy. I see. I think the opposite. I think they have to support this corporate structure, and you can't do that with just 10 titles. There's a whole corporate structure at DC. There's hundreds and hundreds of people who work in DC outside of even the comics. And all those people wouldn't. And and maybe it's not 10. Maybe they just just slash publishing and they just print reprints. I don't know. But again, all that stuff needs to happen. Those people are still in charge. The the publishing guys are still the ones who make the calls and everything. I don't know. Everyone thinks that the comics are the lowest part of the pool, but they're not. I don't even mean like this epoch. I'm just saying I could see it happening. Right, I know. I'm just saying from my experience having worked with Warner Brothers. Sure. If you're in charge of driving revenue, I, yeah, look, anything's possible, especially with Warner mm-hmm. Brothers Discovery and with Disney and Marvel, anything's possible. But I do think that these corporate ecosystems are so big sure. and, and there's so much money that goes through them. You know, They drive so much in terms of consumer product sales and Marvel takes the storylines directly from the sh- comics to the movies. Like, I just can't see them being like, we're going to do eight titles now. I think it's less likely for Marvel. I mean, basically, what I'm getting at is I'm not going, like, I'm talking about gr- drastically cutting down publishing from what it is now. I could see that happening. Sure. I mean, yeah. I mean, certainly. I, I, not, so in the, in the 80s, this happened in, well, it happened in 78, but it, 
78 is when the DC implosion happened. They immediately canceled 17 titles and then they canceled another 14 after that. So you're talking about 30 something titles got canceled. Was DC part of a conglomerate at that point? They they must have been. In 78, when did Warner Brothers buy them? That was later. That was in the early 80s because Maybe they Maybe it was right before that. Yeah, I mean like if they were their own independent business at that point, I can see that. Yeah. You know, that like that makes That's sense. That's totally different. That's what I mean. If exactly. they were if they were just publishers, if it was Image or Dark Horse or whoever, all the Dark Horse is owned by Embracer, but they're a cog in such a giant wheel, I can't imagine them being able to do that. No, I, I mean, it, it wouldn't ever happen in that way for those reasons now because, I mean, that might happen to Ahoy Comics or, you know, any Ahoy. other, you know, cross-gen. Yeah. And it's, it's happened before. That's more like that. You know, things are... Ahoy, hoy. Things are changing so quickly that I just, I just, I have this, like, nothing is sacred and nothing is safe in the way that we know it. Oh, sure. Yeah. I just think... Um... I mean, what, like at one point DC was publishing with it 52 titles when the 52 came out. So I, I could see it going down to, to like 40 maybe, but they're never going to go down to like 10. That's just never mm-hmm. going to happen. Mm-hmm. There's too much infrastructure that has to be supported. I get it. There's merchandising, there's whatever, but like how much of that actually depends on the comic books? Like the stuff already exists. Well, the characters like, come from the comic books. Like why is, I know, but it already why exists. is Harley one of the most popular characters? It has nothing to do with the comic books. It's because she was in a movie. No, she was a popular before that. In Some comics, though, but that's nothing. That's small potatoes. That's bare change. But again, it's not about the revenue. It's about what it supports. It's a whole. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's an amoeba. It's like cutting your arm off. It's like it's just an arm, but it, you can then you can't pick anything up. It's like it's a whole body. That look what they did to HBO. HBO's still putting shows up. Same number of shows they've always done. I know. It's a bad example. Look what they did to it in my mind without the proper context of the conversation that we had. <laughs> How about that, Connor? <laughs> Why don't they do shows I like anymore? <laughs> I didn't, I didn't. I didn't mean that. Ryan S. from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. With DC continuity more or less leaning into nothing makes sense, nothing matters, I wanted to ask you what you think the continuity status of the killing joke should be. For Batman and the Joker, the question is mostly kind of irrelevant, in my opinion, but the biggest in-the-universe impact of the story was paralyzing Barbara Gordon. If you were making the call, would you keep the killing joke as an in-continuity story, label it Elseworlds, or take the current DC approach and just shrug about it? I've been thinking about this question since I got the Killing Joke for Christmas when I was 13 and was so glad my mom did not flip through the book before wrapping it and putting it under the tree 24 years ago. Shrugging about it is the same thing as not acknowledging it. To me, like in comic book world, it's the same thing. Shrugging? Yeah, I mean like saying like they're going to – shrugging it is, is ignoring it, and which is a way of, of tacitly saying it's not – Well, it's, it's never it's never been fully in continuity. They just took the one event out of it and used that. Yes. I mean – at the end of the book, Batman kills the Joker, so it's not. Right, con- right. It's clearly not in continuity. I think that was a mistake, though. Like, it should have never been in any continuity of any kind. Sure. It's one of those things that's too serious. Like, the fact that the character has to ignore the fact that, and go on by being a super librarian, you know, with a lot of computers, because this maniac shot her, and then his, her, like, you have to ignore the fact that, like, they drove Commissioner Gordon mad. It shouldn't have been brought into the continuity. It should of, never happened. I mean, I'm, I'm, I love the Oracle, but she should have just stayed back. Girl, that's always, I mean, yes. That's no and she is now. Right. So, and they, they, they do comic book you know, mysticism to make sure she can walk again. And then they just don't refer to it. And that's if that's the best they can do, that's fine. But it's, but it's, it's important. It's, it's never really been in continuity because of – they just – I think Danny O'Neill talked about this at some point. I remember reading that and talking about it. But like – they took the idea of her having been shot and paralyzed and used that in the comics, but they couldn't take the whole story. So they really just kind of picked and choose, which is how comics work anyway, right? So they just mm-hmm. picked and choose the, the things that worked for them and used that and they ignored the rest, which they had to because it was too dark. 
you know, just ignoring all the implied sexual assault as well. And, and then, mm-hmm. um, again, the murder of the Joker at the end by, the, by Batman. So it was never fully in continuity anyway. That's what I would do. I'd shrug, shrug about it. If you can't go back and remove it, which they should have done with the New 52, just not have it ever been shot. But they, of course, muddled all that stuff with the New 52. If you can't go back and just erase it, then you just do what they did, which is just at one point, the Joker shot Barbara and she became paralyzed for a while. She was Oracle for a while. She got her legs back. Sometimes she's back girl. Sometimes she's Oracle. Sometimes she's both. Yeah. That's kind of where we're Shouldn't at have. now. I don't know if we gained anything by having her be paralyzed or I don't know. Maybe that was... Maybe that you know, there's something about representation to be said there, but I, I don't know. Well, I, was a, I mean, I was a huge at that time a Bronze Age Batman reader. I was a huge Bat- Barbara of Gordon Batgirl fan, so of course I, I didn't want it to happen. But I think her character was a good character. And yes, some people say she's a stronger character for it. I don't know if that's true because she was a very big, important piece of this puzzle back then. But mm-hmm. you know, DC continuity is taking you know just sort of a messy approach to everything right now. They don't really have much. I don't even know if there. I was yeah, there isn't one, and that that you know. I'm I'm all right in a way that if they're just like, we're just not going to bother with any of it, I'm kind of like, fine, that's that's cool. Do that. But it's weird that, you know, like you don't have a Justice League book. I mean, there <laughs> might be one, but because there's no shared, whatever's happening in, in Batman is so far removed from what's happening in Superman that they can't come together. Let me ask you a question. So I was, I was catching up on the books. I, haven't, I still have about six or seven books left from the break to read. I was reading a couple last night, or not the other night before I read my books for this week, and I was reading Wonder Woman. And I was like, I know there's been offhand remarks in other books about the Amazons being banned from the U.S., just sort of yeah. just a weak attempts at drawing it in. But it, it feels like such a black label book, mm-hmm. such a out of continuity book, such a book that would never happen in the actual continuity mm-hmm. when I read that. It's a great book, but it's just like, this would never happen in DCU. And it doesn't feel like it's happening in DCU. And, you know, it's a mess, DC. Yeah, I mean, and like, you know, individually in those books, the books are fine on their own, but I think that you do miss, like, why isn't there a JLA? Well, there's mm-hmm. no cohesion in the universe. Like They're busy fighting Godzilla. That's the only JLA book I'm aware of. JLA versus Godzilla versus Kong. If that's what they want, then fine. I do see a value to, like, understand why that would be easier for them. Like, no, this, the Batman people have the thing going on here, and we'll we'll pay, like, a little lip service, but there is no... It's just not what it was, and and, yeah. and that's how you get. That's the only way you're getting Tom King to write a Wonder Woman book. You know, it's not. It's not like at this point he's like, I'm not going to make sure that she's standing at this place at this time, right? Because Beast World's going on. Like we're not yeah. doing that. So, so the, the, to answer Ryan's question, I would shrug about it because that's all you can do, really. At the end of the day, mm-hmm. it's not in continuity. It's never really been in continuity, despite what they said. Mm-hmm. Just that one element of it, that one page. Contact at fanboy.com is how you can write in, like Carl and Ryan. You can also write in to be in our Media Splode show, our monthly uh, non-comics show. You can put Media Splode in the subject line. That's how you get that email into the proper folder. Speaking of Media Splodes, last week we were totally non-prepared. <laughs> we didn't even know what we were doing. I forgot there was a book explode we had to do. It was not a smooth transition back into doing the show. But now we're ready. This coming week we're going to have a Media Splode. I think we're going to talk about what we enjoyed over the break. We haven't actually discussed it. We haven't recorded it yet. But that's what we did last time. Maybe we'll do it again. I don't know. Week after that will be the book explode that we mentioned last week. Josh and I will be reviewing. Yes, and this is tough because yes. it's out of print and it's in several different printings, and so the titles change. But this is the one I have: Classic GI Joe Real American Hero Volume One. I have the IDW book, which is obviously no longer in print. I've also somewhere got the original Marvel one, the Classic GI Joe Real American Hero Volume One, which covers issues one through ten. 
So that's what we're going to be covering in the book explode. If you have those issues, or if you have, if you want to, you know, get them on Amazon, or if you want to, you know, I don't even know where they are anymore. I guess they're this image. I don't even know where you'd find them online. But anyway, GI Joe: Real American Hero Volume One, which is one through ten. That's what we're going to be doing in two weeks. You can figure it out, which I'm excited about. Yeah. How far into it are you? I'm I'm on like seven or I just started reading them on my own for no reason. So. I don't know, seven or eight. It's I've like I've I've talked about how I've been enjoying my comics and catching mm-hmm. up and reading them and I have, but I'm a little mad because I just want to be reading G.I. Joe comics. <laughs> but at the same time, like you can't read too many of them in a row. Right. Like you want to have them in bites. I think. That's that's how I, I really feel like Image has reinvigorated our G.I. Joe love. I mean that yes. press conference that Cobra Commander gave in the last issue of G.I. Joe Rim Looking Hero was exquisite. Mm-hmm. You can watch the episodes on Tubi, which is free. There's at least two seasons, but it's it's important to note that the second season of G.I. Joe has something like 64 episodes. <laughs> 54 animators died that year. In a few weeks, <laughs> at a date to be determined, we'll have an animated brain trust show reviewing Justice League Crisis at Infinite Earths Part 1. It'll probably be the first week of February, but I'm not making any promises. We'll find out. We haven't scheduled it yet. Mm-hmm. That comes back to me. You can find our library of, we should count these. We might be tipping. No, it's, 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 we're only putting out, you know, eight a month. So that's still got to, eight times 50. I'll tell you how many we at. You you talk and I'll tell you. For 1,300 shows or more and counting. Right now, just as I said this, as you're listening to you, like, oh man, that is one more. That's true. (laughs) You can go to ifanboy.com and find that. You can find whatever else is there. 1,345 shows. So this will be 1,346. Okay. So next year we'll be saying. Well, no. If we do six shows a month, so that's 10, I guess, close to next year. All I'm saying is that next year we will be saying it. Yes. Next year will be 1,400. That's true. Exactly. But you can find our podcasts in places. I think this works for me because I do it. But if you go to Apple Podcasts and you write comic books, we still come up pretty like first second you yeah. know so that which i'm very proud of the day that doesn't happen i remember when i was no longer the first josh flanagan who showed up in google that was a bad day but we're good <laughs> for ifanboy it turns out yeah anyway we are on at ifanboy comics on instagram you'll find out what the pick of the week is before the show comes out you hear a nice little fun clip from the show uh, when a new episode comes out that's a thing we do because we we care about the new media landscape connor and i are on there seal skill patrick and jay flanagan on the instagram that's it though we're not on the other ones because yeah, we don't have time. And finally, subscribe to this show on youtube.com slash ifanboy. You'll find all of our old video shows there, years and years of video shows we did. And we post this show every week. And we may post other shows we do. We haven't decided yet. But basically, if you're someone who's on YouTube all the time and you want to listen there, you can do that. Some people do. A small, small, small portion of the listenership does. But that's great. They're important too, those people. So we try to make it easy for them. Please consider leaving a review or star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. We thank you very much. We appreciate it. Thanks for listening. My name is Connor. And I'm Josh. Did you hear a single cough in this whole episode? That's because you got a mute button. I did not use it. I did oh. not. I did not cough. I laughed really hard at one point and almost, but I didn't. How's your throat? Uh, it hurt yesterday and I was worried I had another virus, but it was gone today. So that's enough. Same thing happened to me. It's weird. <sighs> now we're starting to get sick at the same time with the same stuff. Yeah, that's it's pretty amazing if you think about geographically how that doesn't work. Baby, you say you're traveling on the one after 909. Move over, honey, I'm traveling on that line. I said, move over once, move over twice. Baby, don't you be cold as ice.
Say you're traveling on the one after nine. Say you're traveling on the one after nine. Say you're traveling on the one after nine. Oh, nine.